Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where life of Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we have our sermon from this past Sunday from Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee, Ohio, discussing our gospel lesson on this past Sunday under the theme, Hidden Glory in the Call. Here goes. As we begin, I want you to think for just a moment. Think for just a moment. If you were to talk to yourself 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or even 40. But to make it easy, think for yourself, if you were to talk to yourself when you graduated high school, for some of us it's only half a year, (laughs) would the high school you be surprised with where you are now? Would the person who graduated high school look at you and kind of scratch their heads? Well, I never, never had that thought for you. Or would they say, wow, that's different. Maybe it would be an excitement. That is, that is far better than I ever asked or imagined. Or maybe it would be quizzical. Man, I, I don't even know where to find Toledo on the map. I didn't until February of 2018. <laughs> and if you were to talk to yourself of yesteryear, and you were to sit down and converse with them about all the plans that they had and the eventual roller coaster that turned out, how would the conversation go? And would you be disappointed? Or conversely, would you be excited? Because Peter and James and John and Andrew, they're sitting here mending their nets. And they're thinking to themselves, well, here we are. You know, Dad's got a good business. Zebedee has, um, has kind of built his own small business, and it's a, it's a bustling one at that. They've got these four employees, at least two of which are sons of the business owner. And they've added on a few more. It's big business. And it's a secure job, and they get to live where they want to live. And they thought they had their lives laid out. And then Jesus comes and says, follow me. And it's like the roller coaster just took a sudden dive. And what does this mean? And the way Mark lays it out for us, uh, Mark, who probably, probably got this firsthand account from the Apostle Peter, The way Mark lays it out for us is John the Baptist was just put in prison and then Jesus, you know, a couple days after the news spreads, Jesus goes and finds these disciples of John the Baptist and says, come follow me. These disciples of John the Baptist, whose spiritual leader is now imprisoned, and that question, is Jesus worth it? You think of the the ups and downs of your own life. You think of the ups and downs in in their life. How they had their their life perhaps planned out and thought out. And all they have to go on is a word from Jesus. Follow me. And why would they follow him? Because nothing nothing appears glorious here. The heaven isn't torn open The Spirit of God isn't descending like a dove to land on each of them. Jesus doesn't walk out into the middle of the lake as they're fishing and saying, Hey guys, what's going on? Why don't you come follow me? 
He doesn't, he doesn't dazzle them with miracles and miraculous power. He simply says, follow me. And this coming immediately, shortly after, John the Baptist has been put in prison and he will never see the light of day again. Come follow me, the Savior spoke. And they laid down their nets. Jesus said, I've got bigger plans for you and bigger ideas for you. Come follow me. And you think back for yourself. Maybe the plans that you had laid out, maybe you had been voted um, most, most likely to get drafted into the major leagues or most likely to be elected president or any of the number of other ideas. And you probably had your own set of dreams and maybe you chased one for a while or maybe you followed one for a while, but here you are. And whether it's what you anticipated, what you planned and what you wanted, or whether it isn't, here we are. And you didn't have any word from Jesus to say, come follow me, come and do this, come and do that. And you had to use your, your Christian intuition, your Christian wisdom, informed by the word of God, and make a logical decision. What is it that we want to do next? Even pastorally, when pastor gets a call, the heavens don't open, and God doesn't speak into my ears or my heart and say, this is the place, go there, or this is the place, stay here. I looked, I sit and gather the information, talk with a few people, and, um, and then make a decision. And that's why, you know, Pastor Hagen, at least, and as many other pastors as I can encourage, when I write a call letter, I say, I have decided to do X or Y. And that isn't in any way an announcement that I've received a call because I won't be for at least another year. <laughs> but it's that question of where we are now and where is the glory of it all? Because whether your life has turned out over the last 10, 20, 30 years the way you had wanted or not, whether it was something that was on your radar or just a new, new opportunity that sprung up out of nowhere, the reality is the same. That Jesus has come to you and he has said, come follow me. You weren't sitting by the side of Lake Erie cleaning your fishing tackle Maybe you were just a, a little baby at that baptismal font. Maybe it was a little bit later in life through uh, a person that you were dating who ended up becoming a spouse and discussing the faith with you. But when we see what Jesus is talking about here, when he says, come follow me, it would be simple enough and easy enough to be discouraged because we don't see the glory because the glory is, is hidden. And the, the task before us and the life before us as a Christian is more difficult. And our sinful flesh hates that. <laughs> it hates any sense of opposition, any sense of restraint on what our sinful nature wants to do. And at our very core, when Jesus says, come follow me, there is just as much a little part of me that's shaking a fist and saying no. And I know it's there with you too. 
There's just as much that is shaking a fist and even wants to go the step further. Not just say, no, Jesus, I do not want to follow you, but Jesus, I want to do something else. And even shaking a fist and saying, Have you, haven't you seen my life? This is not what I had wanted. This is not what I had planned. And surely, God, you have not blessed me. Or the reverse. My life has turned out far better than I ever imagined. No thanks to you, but it is all thanks to my effort and my attention and my ability. Deep down when Jesus says, come follow me, when he calls you to faith, and even day by day, we want to deny what he is saying, and that sinful flesh still hates it, even at the same time as our faith loves to hear that word. So inside, there's this struggle. There's this struggle that says, I want to do what I want to do, which is what the sinful flesh declares. And the faith says, I want to bow my head and follow my Lord because he is trustworthy at all times and in all ways. That my Lord will, will bless me even if I don't see the glory now. And there's the rub. Even if I don't see the glory now. Because the glory of Jesus is hidden underneath that call. The, the general call to faith, the general call to daily take up your cross and follow him, the call that, that God spoke into your heart at your baptism, or when he sent his spirit to turn your heart around when you're older, the call even um, in a public call where Christians who have been called to faith together, they issue a call to serve, be served on their behalf by another pastor. That's why we call it the, the call to the ministry, the call to the public ministry, that in a sense I represent God to you and I represent the congregation in our interactions with others. And in a sense, God has called me here through you to authoritatively teach and carry out discipline and to proclaim the gospel together with you in this community. And the constant temptation, the constant temptation is to keep chasing the glory rather than sticking to the word. And what do I mean by that? The constant temptation to keep chasing the glory rather than sticking to the word. The glory. Sometimes it shows up in congregations who are like, oh, remember when we had Pastor, Pastor Schultz. That's a good you know, German name. Pastor Schultz. Pastor Schmidt. And the, the wonderful times that we had then. And the church was busy and growing and full. Or maybe it shows up in different ways. Remember when we had you know, 100 or 200 people coming for VBS and the place was just packed, even though the, the church was so, so tiny at the time. Chasing the glory, rather than sticking to the word, draws our eyes backward. Sometimes, sometimes it draws our eyes forward, chasing the glory. Well, um, maybe one day things will start turning around. And maybe one day, if our external circumstances change, then, then God will bless our work here. Drawing our eyes backward, but not in a way that is encouraging, that says, look at God's glory there, but in a way that says, look at what we accomplished, and if only we could recapture that. Or maybe drawing our eyes forward, 
that if God would remove this stumbling block and send us that person or those people and those abilities, then, then we will finally have arrived. We'll have the place. We'll have the people. We'll have everything. It's the constant temptation to draw our eyes toward the glory rather than the word. And I'm sure you recognize this in your own life as well. You recognize this in your own life, maybe if you came to faith later in life, and you thought to yourself, well, um, by and large, my day-to-day was pretty much the same. Maybe now I've got a little bit more Bible reading in my life, but um, back then I was changing diapers, and now I'm dealing with older kid problems. Maybe you think of um, you know, having a little child baptized. And I had somebody actually say this to me once. Well, Pastor, we want to get him baptized because he's six years old and he's kind of a handful, and I'm hoping that you're going to wash the hell out of him. <sighs> yeah. What do you say to that? You say baptism is how God promises to create faith. And God promises to nurture that faith through constant teaching. And if Jesus gets one hour out of 168, that's not going to do it. Because it's the constant temptation to keep chasing the glory rather than sticking to the word. And it kind of shows up even in... um, in what passes for disappointment in our own lives. Disappointment over maybe dreams that we had that never panned out. You know, even though your classmates thought you would be president, you end up being pastor at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee, Ohio. I don't want to be president. I'm glad I'm here. That the dreams that you had of, um, of being drafted were maybe cut short by Tommy John surgery or a blown ACL, and the scholarship just kind of fell through. And then on top of it, you've got all the other considerations that everybody has to deal with, and you're trying to carry out the daily task of your life and and trying to keep your chin up in a world that is as much down as it can get, a world of sin and death and pain. And it's that struggle. I'm listening to the word, but can I see just a little bit of glory? And what Jesus says is, come follow me. And in that invitation, he has all of his grace and all of his attributes. He points to himself and says, if you've got Jesus, you've got the glory. You won't see it right now. You probably won't see it this side of heaven. But if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. And then if you've got this word from Jesus, you've got the forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God. You've got the assurance that, yes, in that, um, what was originally a children's song, Jesus, the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night um, because Jesus is strong and kind. You've got this encouragement that, that where you are in your life is not in any sense a, a disappointment. Not for yourself or your loved ones or your parents and their expectations or your God. That through the ups and downs, the roller coasters, the, the dreams that were and the dreams that weren't, Jesus has brought you to this place with your own specific people that he's entrusted to your care, 
your own specific people that he says are part of your concern, your own specific responsibilities that are unique to you, and the, the web of people that you know that is utterly unique among all the people that know each other in this world and are in interconnected, you alone have that relationship with those people. And maybe some of it is people who depend on you, such as the, the children in your home. And maybe it's people that you now have to care for, maybe an elderly parent. But when you look at it, it's like we've got two hands, two hands full of the blessings that God has given to us and the blessings of these people that God has given to us, as well as the responsibilities that we have to them, the friends and the loved ones, those we care about, and maybe, maybe even the responsibilities that, that you don't have at the moment. And when Jesus says, come follow me, the Savior spoke, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. When he called you to faith, the only way to put blessings and responsibilities together is, is like this. Lord Jesus, help me to follow you. Because I can't do it on my own. And as we speak to God, and he speaks to us, not, not in our thoughts and in our hearts, but in the word remembered, in the word that is read and written and heard, and what do we see? We see Jesus who says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. We see a Jesus who, who sees and knows John the Baptist is in prison. He knows how it's going to turn out with the beheading of John the Baptist. He knows how it's going to turn out that John the Baptist will be in heaven pretty soon because Jesus won his forgiveness. And the same is true for you, that blessing of forgiveness is yours and mine. And he has, in a sense, yes, washed your heart and washed your actions so that as you look at your blessings of this life and your responsibilities of this life and we put them together, Jesus sanctifies that. That is, he makes it pure. He makes it holy. He washes it. So that whether it's, you know, being an accountant at a corporation or being the, uh, the checkout person at Kroger, whether it's you know, changing the diaper or disciplining the teenager. Those works given by God are holy in his sight because he has called you. He has called you to faith and he has given you these specific blessings and opportunities and responsibilities. We put them together for his glory so that even the most mundane of actions that you might think is... Um, is yours to carry out on your own. The monotony of, of the daily grind is a holy thing and a beautiful thing in, in God's eyes. You can think of it this way. Every year in January, toward the end of January, all the, uh, the circuit pastors of our Michigan district get together. Michigan is like, you know, the upper peninsula down through northern Kentucky. And um, a group of about five or six churches is organized into a circuit. And then one of those pastors is the circuit pastor. So then, you know, once a year, all the circuit pastors get together. And it's, I don't know, 20, 25 guys, which represents probably 600 churches, maybe 500. I don't know the exact number. 
and they ask each pastor in the district, that would be me as one of them, to write a report on how things went the past year. Um, you know, kind of a brief summary, how's your family doing, what ministry happened, good or bad, so that they can, they can be aware of what's going on. And so I wrote my report, and, and I got to tell you, um, it was a six-page report on the year 2020. <laughs> and, and like I said earlier, the, we chase the glory rather than sticking to the word, and we shouldn't obsess about the glory, we should stick to the word. But in retrospect, after a year of sticking to the word, Jesus has shown his glory in a very visible way. A very visible way that included, um, you know, I was thinking about this morning as I was having my coffee, I, I, like what would I call the year 2020? I would call it the year of the layperson, probably. We had, um, we had 11 baptisms, and eight of those 11 were because, um, because one or multiple of our lay people spoke to somebody and said, hey, you need to get your child baptized. Or let me talk to my manager, Pastor Hagen. We'll get you into the NICU just this one time. We had, um, we've had a number of people, a number of visitors come. We've had our lay people who took on themselves the work of, of planning the nuts and bolts, of making sure in a time of you know, economic who knows what's going to happen, that was March, April, and May, uh, lay people getting ahead of the curve so that their pastor wouldn't have to lie awake at night wondering what's going to come of our church. We've had lay people who have um, generously supported the work of the Lord here so that pastor can just concentrate on preaching the word rather than wringing our hands and saying, I hope we don't lose the house. <laughs> We've had lay people who, yes, who have had their own crosses, many of them very heavy, many of them even discouraging or painful. But those same lay people have either tuned in on YouTube or, or come here in person or attended uh, for private communion the first Wednesday of the month, 7 to 8 p.m., try to slip that in there when I can. We've had lay people who have come and have expressed such gratitude at hearing the word of God and receiving forgiveness again. Because I've got, I've got to tell you, um, Jesus called me here through you. And he wants me to bring him to you. And just as much this past year in retrospect, um, I think I, you know, it's kind of a toss-up, but I'd say I received more encouragement from the lay people and the, the heart that our people have shown for our Lord and his ministry than I think I have shared. I mean, I can't measure that, I can't quantify that, um, but even to the point of, of lay people over at Zion talking to their pastor and saying, hey, can we get Pastor you know, Mark Burkholz, our, our, our mission counselor in here, and maybe talk about working together with resurrection? You see, we don't chase the glory. We pay attention to the word. Jesus says, come follow me. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And he takes care of the results. He takes care of the results, and maybe in hindsight we see some of those effects. But even if we don't, 
you can know that wherever your place and station in life may be, whatever occupation you've landed at, and even if you move on from that one, you can know that with the people who have come into your life and the people who have left your life, that this is the place where God wants you to be. And this is the time that God has given us to work together to echo again. Come follow me. Because Jesus is still creating fishermen and fisherwomen. People who echo that, that call, follow me. And yes, even people whose lives reflect the reality that you have been forgiven, you've been washed, you've been made clean. And yes, Jesus still blesses his ministry and builds his kingdom. Amen. Be sure to check out today's show notes for a brief discussion guide and Bible study for you to follow through at home, uh, either on your, on your own, uh, by yourself, or with somebody you love. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day.